It's been said that the first casualty of war is truth. And I'm inclined to agree. Listen, we live in an age of instant information, so isn't it strange that things have been... Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Tech Dirt podcast. Thanks for all the great feedback on the first episode. We really appreciated it. We've got a lot of great ideas planned for future episodes. This episode is actually a little bit different than last week's or the standard format that we expect for for most future episodes. Instead, this is actually from a discussion that was held last week at the wonderful PII conference, PII standing for Privacy, Identity, and Innovation, an event that was held in Palo Alto. During the event, I interviewed Brad Burnham, a partner from the venture capital firm Union Square Ventures, on the topic of the paradox of data sharing. The idea was to discuss why it is that many of us are okay with sharing data in some circumstances, but not okay in others, and what that means. The actual conversation, as you'll soon hear, quickly turned to a slightly different issue, which is whether or not the debate over privacy is really the right focus after all, or whether or not control over one's data might be a better place to focus, leading to some interesting thoughts and ideas. I'd like to thank the team behind the PII event, mainly Natalie and Mark, and highly recommend that you check out their future events. They're really great. I'd also like to thank Brad Burnham for the discussion and the insights. And finally, thanks to Dan Bull for providing the theme music for the podcast. We'll be back soon with another episode. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. Just take a look. Nothing tells us more than more data does. So it's important. It's all available to us. Plus, put up for debate and look. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and thanks, Brad. Um, so we're going to talk about this idea of the uh, paradox of, of data sharing. I want to start out, um, I actually, just this morning, before heading down here um, and getting stuck in traffic, <laughs> like so many of you, um, while using Waze, which will come into this conversation, I, I, had, I had read something this morning on The Guardian, which I thought was um, in, in a longer article, but I thought the quote was really fitting. So I just wanted to, to quickly read this one little quote and can I ask you about, um, uh, you know, sort of the, the relevance of it? Um, so it, it was in a longer discussion, but it said, is it any surprise that GCHQ and NSA, GCHQ being the UK version of the NSA, have built up such an overwhelming array of surveillance tools, hoovering up the messages of whole countries at a time when given the chance, many of us, it seems, build similar versions for those around us. And I think that sort of gets to the heart of some of what, you know, what we're, we're going to be discussing today, which is this idea that you know, so many of us are very willing to share data, um, to give it out, and also to, to collect data on others around us. Um, and we feel that opens up new and interesting possibilities, but the second the government comes in and does it, it becomes a, a scary privacy violation. So how do we square those two things, and, and why does one feel like good innovation and one feel like scary privacy violation? So I like the, <clears throat> the comment in the earlier panel or from the questioner about uh, this uh, resource data being radioactive. Um, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly risky, um, and we don't... You know, I think the, the lesson of radioactivity was we didn't understand the consequences of things like long-term storage when we got into it, and I think that's a pretty good way to think about this problem. There is an enormous amount of power in the data, and there's an enormous amount of value in the data, value to individuals um, you know, that, that are returned to individuals by services. 
And you know, wait, excuse me, Waze is a is a great example. Um, there's you know, another example in our portfolio. We work with a company called Duolingo, which is a language learning site. Um, and they um, actually track every single mouse click of every single language learner, um, and they do it in order to be able to adapt the learning experience to e each learner and be able to create a unique and very powerful learning environment. It's a very noble, positive thing. Uh, one of the most you know, interesting things that they're able to do is they can replicate a test that takes two hours in, uh, in the traditional model, and they can deliver the same result in 20 minutes because they can adapt the test very quickly to the level of the, of the uh, test taker. Those are good things. I mean, that's going to create value in society, and we have to figure out how to allow that to happen. Um, but at the same time, we have to recognize that, um, you know, that this is a very, you know, very, very dangerous set of data, and that and it can and that we don't have a lot of controls about where, where it's going to end up. So, I mean, is, is part of it just the idea that um, it's, it's okay when we're doing it ourselves by choice, and it's scary when the government is doing it, you know, sort of coming in and taking that data and using it? Or is it, but, you know, some would argue it's scary too when, when companies are doing that without our knowledge and beginning to... Um, you know, do things in way that do things with that data in ways that make us uncomfortable. So where where's that line? I think is is the question. A lot of people like to draw the line between public and private. Um, they make the point that the government can put you in jail and that companies can't put you in jail, and that therefore there we really ought to make a, a very clean distinction between um, public data access and and private data access. I'm not sure I see that. I think that both uh, on the both uh, institutions on the public side and institutions on the private side have inevitably have bureaucratic self-interest, uh, whether it's economic interest or power interest or, you know, trying to protect a population interest. But that, you know, they're, they're bureaucratic self-interest that lead them to do things that might not be in the interest of the person whose data is being collected. And so, you know, making that distinction, you know, I think, you know, instead we should be thinking in terms of the interest of the individual whose data is being collected as opposed to the economic or political or power interests of the person doing the collecting. So if you're thinking about the, the interest of the person whose data is being collected, you know, right now, I, I think, you know, if we look at the reality, the reality is oftentimes that person is last. You know, of, of the, the three different entities that we're sort of talking about, if it's government or, or corporations or the, or the individual, right now the way things really are is that, you know, in, in the priority list that person often comes in last. Does that need to change? Will that change naturally? Or is this, you know, does something need to be done? So that is a huge question, and um, and I'm thinking about the the earlier panel and thinking about the you know awesome complexity uh, of trying to figure out how to construct a relationship between the individual and the various data collectors uh, through consent or through um, use restrictions. And as I was listening to that, I was just going, oh, my God, I can't imagine, you know, on the consent side, I really, I can't imagine how you could construct a model in which an individual, you know, could 
you know, really manage the, the huge variety of ways in which this data is being used um, very efficiently and, and would very likely be overwhelmed. And, and, and on the data use side, I, you know, I can't imagine how you would, uh, the complexity of enforcing that, I think those are, those are very hard problems. And I, it also feels, you know, they feel, I mean, the objectives are so important and so noble and so correct, but, but it feels as if those models are going to lead to uh, a bunch of unintended consequences um, and that, um, and it's very hard given how little we know about, um, you know, how this will ultimately shape our society to make choices right now as a society, choices that would be influenced by, you know, politics and everything else to, uh, you know, to figure that out. So l let me throw out just as a thought exercise a completely different idea, which is let's, let's rethink um, the locus of the data. You know, if, let, let's, let's move away from the, the notion that this is a a right to privacy and, and think more in terms of it's a right to control and how might that happen? I mean, that's the, um, I, I think that's the discussion that would be at least interesting. Is anyone having that discussion for real or is it, does everyone always sort of default to the privacy discussion? Well, so um, let's just go through this as a thought exercise. First of all, I'll, I'll say that, you know, the, I'm an investor. I, I look at a lot of companies that are trying to uh, sell privacy, and I've been doing that since uh, I first took a look at a company called Zero Knowledge Systems back in uh, the late 90s, and uh, none of those companies have, have been successful. And I think that the reason for that is that, that you know, consumers aren't yet at a point where they care enough to make that conscious choice, to give up something, to give up the value of being in a network with others that, that they interact with or to give up a set of features that they appreciate. Um, so they don't care yet enough um, to, to make that into a business. But there are glimmers uh, that we're beginning to see. We're beginning to see, for instance, companies coming to us and saying, you know, we don't actually even want the responsibility of having this data. Um, you know, we're seeing all these breaches, we're seeing the potential risk. Um, we'd actually like to store the data in, as an example, a user-controlled Dropbox. Um, and we'd like to, instead of the model that exists today where the user's data ends up on our servers and we end up responsible for it, I want to put the data on a user server and I want to go to the data when I need it, as opposed to the other way around. So that's you know, that's just a very early hint of, of some things that might happen. Um, and the question is, is there any way that uh, responsible go governments could encourage that trend? Um, and I think there are some. And, I mean, to some extent, some of that already happens today. Like, I mean, lots of companies that do any, do any kind of e-commerce don't store the credit cards, right? I mean, they, they tend to have a third party that's doing that. You're just saying sort of take that idea further with data or any sort of you know, private or confidential data that they don't want to have the, the potential liability or risk of having to score themselves. Right. I, I think right now one of the problems is, and I don't, I, you know, I don't know the details of this, and I think probably many people in this room know the, the, the legal details much, much better than I do, but one of the problems is that 
the government in this country at least actually uh, you know I think as part of the Patriot Act created a set of rules that protected the uh, the the services from liability uh, from coming from the consumers if in, in data breaches and part of the reason they did that was because they were one of the breachers um, and so um, that that um, but the way that rule was written was actually broader than just the government's access to the data and now we have a situation where you know it's kind of weird and without that rule you know you could imagine that that anybody who collected personally identifiable data that could potentially be misused would be at some risk from a lawsuit coming from the consumer if that data was misused. So one thing we ought to do is we ought to think in terms of you know, undoing that, that, um, that uh, protection from liability. If we did do that um, and all of a sudden you know, companies began to, to you know, experience a potential risk, um, then you know, offering those same companies the opportunity to, uh, of a safe harbor of some kind by saying, well, unless you store the data in a user-controlled account, then, um, then you're, obviously it's the user's risk and the user's making that choice themselves. Um, and so you're not going to be held accountable. I mean, that's, that's a possible evolution that, that, that you might see. So let me ask about sort of the the other side of the coin of control, you were talking about you know, allowing the user to control the data. There's an element to that that I think ha that sort of gets left out of these discussions, which is the idea of transparency, right? So right now, so much of the, you know, the concern and the worries and the, the anger when, when things go wrong is often because there wasn't transparency about how these things were being done um, or even what level of control users did have in the past. So how much of this is really the responsibility of either, and, and you could see either corporations or policymakers being involved here in making it so that these things need to be much more transparent so that the users, at least those who really want to understand what's happening, have the visibility into you know, where their data is going, how it's being stored, what it's being used for, and then from that, they may then demand the control or begin to take control themselves once, once they can actually see what's happening. So, I mean, I'm certainly not going to argue against transparency. I think transparency is, is a great thing. Um, you know, I think that, that uh, most consumers confronted with the full reality of all of the different ways in their, that their data was being used would be overwhelmed with that information um, and, you know, would, would, would basically pull back and start just checking the, the box and... And so, again, it's not real. Uh, it, it w there wouldn't be real consent because it's too complex. There are too many variables. Um, there, there are too many possible interactions. Um, and asking consumers to invest that much time and energy in understanding the implications and then make a conscious choice is a very, very high hurdle. So um, I think that... that um, but I think that... that that it may have the positive effect that you're describing, which would say, again, if you know, if you want to limit the transparency requirement, you can take advantage of the safe harbor and give the user more control, you know, over the data by by putting it in a different data store, um, and um, 
And if that happened, I think one of the things that might emerge would be a, um, a set of services, a set of companies that would act on behalf of the user that would simplify you know, those choices for them that would be um, that you could choose based on some kind of social val valid, you know, valid, whatever, some kind of validation. I knew there was a word there. Um, some kind of social validation. All my friends are using this service. I don't have to really understand. They, that, 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 that's, okay, and, and this service gives me these five choices. I'm just going to take this standard default, and, and then if something changes or something happens, I can go in and, 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 you know, because that service now works for me because it's working against my data set that I control, it would change that dynamic. Well, you could almost see sort of the, the parallel of like an um, a, a, a anti-malware, anti-spyware, or you know, antivirus program that is just checking on your data and, and the ways it's being used. And if something comes up that may be sketchy, gives you a warning saying somebody you know, wants to use your data in this way, you know, consent or no. I mean, you run into the same problem that like, I mean, you know, I have a personal firewall on, on my computer that pops up all these warnings all the time. And that after a certain point, you're just like, okay, 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 because whatever. Um, so you could run into that. But it also does open up an opportunity where you're giving people more control over know, over how that data is being used and, and what it's being used for. Absolutely. I don't know how you would implement that in the current world where the data is stored at each of the service providers right. um, and you'd have to then, you know, you'd have to then be looking at the data collection problem um, and, you know, you'd have to be looking at data going out as it was going out and you'd have to somehow try and uh, understand how it might be used um, and you'd have to figure out based on, you know, looking at it from the outside, how that data is being used by that particular service provider, which would be tricky. Um, but if you, again, flip the model, if the data was stored in a user-controlled account and the, and the service providers were accessing that data, then all of a sudden you'd have a very, very much different scenario. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know we're going to start taking questions pretty soon, So and we have this microphone up front if anyone... Once you know has questions, you can start getting lined up. Um, but I wanted to just sort of get back to this, the you know the overreaching question, the question that people keep coming back to, and was sort of the you know the theme of this, which is you know w when it comes to the individual themselves, you know how much, you know how much do do you think they value any of this, right? So, you know, one of the concerns that people talk, especially on the privacy front, comes up all the time. People don't care enough about it for it to matter to them. Is it, you know, well, one, is that true because you're shaking your head? But two, you know, is it that, you know, as these things begin to change and as these new opportunities come up, that they're more likely to, to become interested in it? Or is it that, you know, some people keep predicting and have been predicting for you know over a decade is that there's going to be some big calamity that that causes people to suddenly be concerned about it or you know do you think that it's just there there's so much value that people get whether they you know think through it or not in giving up information and not really being concerned about it that they're just going to continue to do that over time so i i'm not uh, you know i i don't have any particular expertise but but uh, my gut reaction is that 
um, I don't think it's going to be a calamity. I think it's going to be more like the, the frog in the boiling water, you know, and the, the question is, will the consumer jump out before, um, before the water gets too hot? Um, and, I, and that, I think, has a little bit to do with transparency, uh, a little bit to do with, you know, the commercial choices that are available and the degree to which people begin marketing those choices and that, the timing of that. Um, so uh, I, I, um, I also think that, that it's probably generational. Um, that, um, and it's, it's funny because on, on the one hand, you know, people point to millennials and say they just, they just don't care. And the people who care are the people who, you know, un, you know, who try to get off the do not call or on the do not call lists and, you know, tend to be older, tend to feel like, you know, they're, they're more concerned about their privacy. Millennials don't care. I think millennials may actually be the ones who understand what's happening. Um, and right. so they're not approaching it from a perspective of a fear of the unknown, but they're approaching it from a knowledge of what's actually going on and, and you know, a desire to take control of that. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the comments that was made yesterday uh, that you know, a lot of people probably saw it was this idea that, you know, the younger people, they understand, but it's a, it's a different thought about privacy and threat models. They're not so worried necessarily about the government. They're worried about their parents finding out what they're doing online. And so, you know, suddenly it's, it's just sort of a different way of thinking about it, and they recognize different things, but, you know, the threat to them is a very different kind of threat, but they do understand it. So we have a question from the audience. Hi, yes, um, thanks. I'm really interested in this discussion, um, the idea of you shifting control back to the user. Um, and it was interesting, too, that you, st you started this idea off um, with companies who are coming to you that really don't want the hassle of managing the data. Um, but the question that, that remains for me, I think, is, is a tough question, and you alluded to it. I, I wonder if you could more fully expand. And that is this idea, so now you have you know, a trusted intermediary. You've got the consumer deciding you know, what he or she wants to share, you have this trusted intermediary, hopefully a, a brand that's trusted, but you still need the people who want, the people still want to use the data. So how, how does the intermediary control how that data is ultimately used? I mean, it's basic, isn't it sort of shifting the burden? Right now, some people might think the government should be in charge of that. It should be up to, you know, the regulators. But now that burden of ensuring that the data you know, isn't sold or, or, you know, something bad happens to it. So I, I just wonder if, if you've thought through how that would work. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but, Hard question. But, but some ideas uh, on that. I mean, the, the place where um, this would all break down is if um, the service provider that was using the data to create services for the consumer... Um, stored a copy of the data as well as the copy that the consumer was storing. So instead of, you know, sort of a real-time access to a data store that was being built up, that was controlled by the consumer and managed by a, an intermediary um, that was trusted by the consumer, um, they, they create a copy and they begin to use that data and, they, and, and all of the same problems exist. And so one of the questions is as simple as, you know, what does, what does that service provider say they do? And if they say, we do keep a copy of the data, then the FTC says, okay, that, that's, that's what's happening. Now the intermediary is saying to the consumer that, you know, this, this request has this risk profile because they're keeping a copy. And if they uh, say that they're not keeping a copy, but they are keeping a copy, then that's, there's, there's a way to go after that. That's, that's a violation of, of law that the FTC could go after. Um, and so the, 
the, the question really is, you know, how does that intermediary work on behalf of the consumer over time? I mean, I think we'll find out, but, but I, I think there's some possibility that, that there's some way that would happen. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of companies that are sort of beginning to explore this space, and I think, you know, the market will sort of figure out the, often the best ways that it, that it can work. Go ahead. Sure, thank you. Um, is there an analog in any other... Um, uh, is there an analog that would suggest that the emergence of an intermediary is possible? I mean, I'm having a hard time getting my head around the fact, you know, how many, what's the over-under on cons how many uh, accounts an individual consumer will want to control? But uh, I'm just curious as to whether uh, there, there is an analog in some other industry that we might look at or an industry we might look at. Uh, and do you think that the service provider will emerge from uh, a garage or the expansion of services by a current, perhaps, trusted company? So um, I think that uh, the, the current trusted companies, uh, the, the big uh, players who are gathering a lot of personally identifiable data in social media, um, a lot of the, one of the byproducts of this model is actually going to be a threat. Um, and, and that, that you know, the, the, a lot of the value of a company like a Facebook has to do with the network effect that is... I did is say trusted, though. Th that, is, that is created, okay. Um, you did say trusted. So Facebook wouldn't be an example. No. Uh, so I don't know who you're referring to. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of the, the, the big brands that currently collect a lot of data. Would one of them... Um, you know, build a business, you know, recognize this transition and make that leap from a current model which depends on the, the network effect and their control of the data to a model where they're representing the consumers. Um, and I think that's unlikely because I think it's very difficult for companies to, you know, to make that transition. Even companies that are still controlled by founders and are relatively entrepreneurial um, it's almost impossible for a company that's controlled by professional management and, and, um, and you know, but, it, but it's hard, hard enough for somebody that... The, the one thing I would say is that it's, it's not a perfect analog, but I, I do think the example that I brought up before of sort of credit cards and credit card information is at least somewhat analogous to, to this situation. It's just on a, on a broader scale. But there are other things, too, where, you know, companies are, you know, outsourcing different, different pieces of, you know, of what they put together to companies that are, you know, more well-established to, to handle all of it. Um, but I, I think we're, we're basically out of time. So, uh, Brad, thanks very much. Interesting discussion. And thanks to everyone here for, for listening. My pleasure. It's a shame that it's come to this for freedom of speech That we need a safe haven for people that leak But you see, we speak what we see Can we deceive what we speak? And that's the truth that's keeping us free The truth will set you free The truth will set you free The issue's prickly when it comes to WikiLeaks Different people see it differently and disagree Does it pillory the bigotry of ministries of